Hey, everyone, we are five weeks away from our celebratory 200th episode, and we want to hear from you. Please send us in an audio recording of a comment or a question to our email address, the two cities podcast at gmail.com, and we'll enter you into a drawing for book bundle giveaways. We have four different publishers participating, and we have five different book bundles to give away from Baylor University Press, Zondervan, Erdman's, and Baker. So do send us in a recording by November 1st, and we'll incorporate that into the episode, and you have a chance to win some awesome books. All right, and here's the episode. Welcome to the Two Cities Podcast, a podcast about theology, culture, and discipleship. And this is episode 195. In this episode, we're talking about evangelism for the care of souls with Dr. Sean McGeever. Dr. Sean McGeever is Area Director for Young Life in Arizona and an adjunct professor in theology at Grand Canyon University and the author of the book that we're excited to discuss on this episode, Evangelism for the Care of Souls, published by Lexham Press. Team members on the episode from the two cities include Dr. Josh Carroll, and me, Dr. John Anthony Dunn. So Josh, this conversation with Dr. McGeever was a lot of fun. We talked about talked about evangelism, different methodologies of, of evangelism, different uh, approaches, but hearing about Dr. McGeever's approach as, as, a, as a care for souls and the way he articulates this as kind of being more like a sort of medical practice, if you like, I thought that was really uh, helpful and interesting and a fascinating way of thinking about it and a, and a helpful helpful way of, of thinking about it. Um, I like that, you know, he emphasizes this posture of listening um, and and um, just think that that's a, a really wise way way forward. What were some of the takeaways that that you had from our conversation with Dr. McGeever? The thing I really appreciated about uh, Dr. McGeever's work is the relational aspect of what evangelism is all about. Um, stepping into having ongoing, repeated conversations with people and uh, getting to know people with curiosity rather than just pronouncing something at them, walking with them through it. And if you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. And you can also follow us on X, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at our website at thetwocities.com. And with that, here's our conversation with Dr. Sean McGeever. Well, Dr. McGeever, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So we're excited to talk about your book on evangelism. So since the subtitle refers to a care for souls, uh, curious if you could say a little bit about uh, Harold Sankbile's book, Care for Souls, this pastoral theology um, that that the book has sort of been placed into like a series with. Uh, I'm wondering if that was the plan all along to kind of take that book and make it into a series. How does your book fit within kind of the ethos of St. Bile's book, anything you want to say about sort of what what um, the series has sort of become and, and your book's relation to his? Yeah, yeah, thanks for that. So this isn't going to help, you know, me getting the word out about my book, but if if your listeners haven't read The Cure of a Soul by, by Harold St. Bile, they should read that first. It is just a mm -hmm. fantastic book and it won whatever all the awards were the year it came out, it won. And for good reason, um, he really, you know, returns readers and encourages ministers and pastors to go back to the 
um, historic kind of care of souls approach to pastoral work, a slow um, listening, um, uh, you know, mi ministry. And so th that was a, a major refresher for me to, um, for my own ministry in my own life to, to read that. Uh, the team at Lexham had sent me a copy. So I, I stumbled into it. And then when it, when people started talking about it and it won all the awards, I wasn't surprised at all. So uh, I'm friends with the editor, uh, the infamous and wonderful Todd Haynes. Mm -hmm. And he let me know after uh, just a little bit after it came out that, that they intended to come out with a series of books underneath that umbrella on different pastoral tasks and they approached me to write the one about evangelism. So I I know that they they I think there's four or five of them that have come out. Um, uh, stewardship and uh, funerals, I think, and some others. And, th and they have a plan for uh, more coming out. But uh, yeah, they're they're kind of been, uh, invited different folks like myself to to uh, write this. So yeah, yeah. Um, that that's kind of the backstory on it. I was a, a little hesitant because he's just such i mean what he wrote uh was so influential on me i was a bit intimidated and then also uh from a lutheran background which um i appreciate but i i don't come from that background so i wanted to make sure that i was i, I could weave into that um nicely and so at first i was pretty hesitant but the more i got into it became more familiar with other things that hal had written and todd um uh, helped me understand better i i, I once it started writing it i was uh the, the book on evangelism it just was like such a great fit because it's so different than the way that I was introduced to evangelism, which was quite transactional and like, let's just get out there and get this done as quick as possible. And all that flies in the face of the care of souls approach. Mm, yeah. I want to hear more about what's distinctive about this care of souls approach with regard to evangelism. I also sort of grew up with a more transactional way of thinking about it, went on a lot of sort of international missions growing up and I, it, you know, in hindsight, I always kind of refer to it as machine gun evangelism, where it just seemed like we were just running mm -hmm. around, like telling everybody, you know, here's here's the gospel message, you know, a highly truncated gospel message, which I'm sure we'll circle back to, but um, just sort of like counting numbers, like, oh, we got 35 salvations. Yes. How many did you get today? And, you know, this kind oh, of thing, yes. you know, uh, which I look back in shock and horror um, uh, when I reflect on this. Uh, but but tell us more about what is the care of souls approach uh, that that you're sort of advocating in this book? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. Now, I'm also fortunate because uh, Hal, uh, Harold, goes by Hal, often uh, wrote the, you know, has a series preface. And so, if readers do pick up my book, they'll get a three or four page introduction to this, which is in there. One of the best metaphors that I like about that approach is uh, a medical doctor that if you were to go in and to see a doctor, um, that that one of the key tasks that uh, the physician does is listens. So probably the most important difference that I've picked up in my own ministry from you know, this approach and also that I try to implement evangelism is typically like what you said, it's about even evangelism, let's announce this thing. So I'm going to say a bunch of stuff. In the care of souls approach, it often begins and has a major emphasis on listening. And so I either think of, you know, when I've been to the doctor, they'll say, what's going on, you know, and then, and then they're listening carefully. And then the other metaphor that I like to think of is actually like a stethoscope. So the doctor then puts the stethoscope on, you know, near your lungs or near your heart or near, you know, and, and, and then is listening with a trained ear for things that, that, 
that they've been trained and that they also have wisdom, you know, like they, they don't, they don't just read about it in a book and then do it. They've been mentored. They've been essentially like discipled or apprenticed in this type of thing. And now they're, they're getting to do that for others. And after listening to the words that are said, and then also listening a little bit to the, to the, the, the breathing, the, the, the flow through their body, you know, their heart beating can then say, I, I'm going to now tell you some things, but all the, the, the next words that they say are all because of the listening and the assessment that they've done. And so that's, that's kind of probably the, the big difference. There's plenty of books on evangelism that are excellent. And I have um, some listed in the back of my book that I think are really helpful. If you want to just kind of more one, two, three, here you go. I do believe that God uses those approaches and I even incorporate some of those. Um, but I don't, I didn't need to write another book, uh, on those sort of things. My, mine was more about this, this why listening, pastoral, longer term, patient, uh, hopefully Lord willing, a, a wise applying wisdom that acquired over time to be able to uh, announce the good news of Jesus to someone who's heard it maybe for the first time, or maybe they've heard it a millionth time. So that's, that's the kind of uh, take on this and also about the emotional experience. So, you know, I, I am an evangelist with young life and all that. Um, it feels like a lot hinges on my performance and that can really do you in. If you, any, any of us that would love to share the news of Jesus with people, was I successful? Was I a failure? You know, was it, it, it just feels like there's a lot of pressure. And then later down the road, you know, social media has been terrible because I've been at this for decades now and you see people's lives go up and down. Anyone in ministry has seen those sort of things. You go, oh man, maybe you kind of look back in the tapes. Should I have said something different? Should I have done this or that? And so a lot, a lot of this book is not only about that uh, care of souls where what you assess in the moment, but also what is it that I'm taking responsibility for? What, what do I need to own up to um, in the moment or even in retrospect. And a, a lot of people don't talk or address kind of the emotional, um, just purely human emotional response, but also kind of the spiritual emotional experience that that um, those of us that want people to turn to faith in Christ go through, especially over time. That point about sort of the pressure to perform and these sorts of things, it, it makes me um, want to hear from you about the issue of like calling and gifting when it comes to evangelism. So, you know, some people might, might say like, well, you know, I'm not really gifted in that way. So that's for other people to do. Or I don't, don't really feel like called in the same sort of way to do that type of ministry. I feel more inclined towards this or that type of uh, ministry, or maybe this or that type of uh, uh, evangelism. Could you say more about this issue of gifting and calling and whether you think, for example, all Christians are called to evangelize, or do you think some of us are sort of uniquely called and gifted to do it? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. I mean, just if I was to give a, a not very theological response, which I'll, I'll maybe give a little bit more, it, it does seem like some people are gifted at this. Like, wow, you know, they'll have a conversation with somebody and it leads to spiritual things really quick and things happen quickly. So just on the surface of it, and maybe just in my experience, there are people that talking about Jesus and, and getting to the heart of things just happens quicker. And so I recognize the reality of that. I also think that uh, in the New Testament, when it talks about evangelists, that it is uh, looked at uh, anachronistically, where we think it's a specialized role that only some people have. And when when an evangelist is lifted up, 
it was because they were a person who uh, announced the gospel. So like even in the, in the ancient liturgies, the person who was the evangelist was the person who did the reading for the gospel reading. So, so that, that was the role of evangelist then, or in the, the calling of the, the offices of evangelist, it was someone who made sure that the message that they had adhered to the message of Christ. So sometimes when we look back we think, oh, well, then there should be someone on our staff whose specific job is evangelist. If they were to do that, they would probably be more like a gatekeeper to make sure that the, all of the messages are adhering to the gospel, the, the broader gospel. And then they would probably be the person who read the gospel reading if you have a gospel reading in your in your church service. We we tend to think that it's kind of a specialized thing. So so I'm going to answer both ways, which says there, it does seem that there's some people that can get to these conversations quickly and, 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 and they're really productive and have a lot of positive things. But we also end up like having it be too specialized where we think only some people have this calling or only some people are supposed to do this. The, the growth of, uh, of the, the church and the early church and the way that evangelism worked in the early church doesn't, didn't look at all like what it does now. Um, and so uh, it, it, it you know, it wasn't inviting people to church because they couldn't come if they weren't baptized. Um, it wasn't openly standing on a corner and preaching the gospel because that likely was going to get you in trouble really quick. Um, it was happening because people saw that other uh, these Christians' lives were different. They treated people differently and they had different priorities, um, especially caring for the poor and others and overlooked and marginalized. And there were questions along the lines of why is it there was curiosity about that. And then they would say, well, why don't you come? And they would um, be able to come and go to a Bible study or kind of a question time with the um, priest or the pastor, local pastor. So it was it was like a curiosity. The main way that the church grew in the first couple centuries was out of curiosity because of lifestyles, not because people were proclaiming the gospel and evangelistic, um, using evangelistic methods that we typically use now. Now, it doesn't mean that the methods that we use now are, are wrong. But when we go back and read the old, uh, read the New Testament, or even think about the ex explosive growth of the church in the um, early days, the evangelistic methodologies were very different. So that's a that's interesting too, because you know we kind of when we think about evangelism today, we think about things like the four spiritual laws, you know, different. You go to like a, a Lifeway or Mardell's or anything like that bookstore, and it's got a section on evangelism and its methodology. It's got tracks. It's got all these kind of different things in it. But I, I love about your book, the uh, chapter where you talk about the cadence of evangelism, this urgent uh -huh. pace, and it's this relational connection. Can you talk more about the urgency for evangelism, but also the relational kind of patience that you have to have when you're stepping into that? Right. Yeah. And just just to piggyback on what on what you said, uh, Josh, where there are, there are a lot of books on evangelism. I need all the help I get. So I'm glad that there's a lot of resources out there. My book is called, uh, titled Evangelism. Evangelism is a is a term that was only come up uh, has been in uh, common use for about two hundred years. So this is a relatively recent term. People like I, uh, you know, my PhD and other academic work is on John Wesley, George Whitfield. So I know quite a bit about that era. They never use the word "we're going to do evangelism." Like that's not what they. That's not how they talked about it. Now there were people who were evangelists. Um, and, uh, but, but like there were no books on evangelism in the way that we know them now and that now fill our shelves and even my book fills a shelf, um, doing that. But, um, 
Yeah. So your your question about the urgent patients is that yeah about yeah. about yeah. The, the the cadence right. Um, so you know to to John's point earlier, the and I I per, you know participated quite a bit in these uh, before and do some of this now where we're going to go out and, you know just share the gospel with a whole bunch of people and let's you know this afternoon we're going to go and canvas a campus or hand out the four spiritual laws or something. I, I've participated in those things and there's those sort of things. I do like the urgency of that because we, we think, you know, with a life without Christ is something that no one should go one more day, you know, longer without. So I, I am a part of, of wanting that sort of urgency as it turns out, that's not usually the way that people's uh, lives uh, change when they talk in retrospect about their um, faith, coming to faith, walking faith, coming to Christ, etc. Studies show, and I talk a little bit about this, though it's not the major emphasis isn't the sociology of this, but it that uh, only one percent of people say I, I did, you know, I, I came to Christ, or I know kind of I, a change happened in my life. Only one percent happened at an evangelistic event or like something that they can like pinpoint. It was this one thing, this one day that. So ninety nine percent of people. Um, well, it might not seem like it because I think those those one percent actually tend to be a lot of the people who give the testimonies and and all that. And and we also want to recognize their story. Their story is just as valid as anyone else's. So um, that's wonderful. The vast majority of people, when there's studies done, that's not it. It's a long term process, and other studies show that process typically takes about three years. So. Uh, you know, just this patience. So, so yes, an urgency, but but a patience about it. Um, uh, God is always at work. So, we need to recognize that when we encounter someone, that we are not the first person to or first kind of movement in their life about the way that God is working. You know, I believe God created them, knit them together in the mother's womb, um, has been working in their life in ways that they may or may not know the entire time. I come in maybe at chapter thirty of their life. Okay, and there's this book that's that if if someone could write um, that that God's been at work in every single chapter. I come in in chapter thirty. I don't know how long I'm going to be in it. I don't even know how many pages that chapter is, but I'm probably not going to be in it very long. And they're going to have something that comes after me. And so the role is, or my my role as an evangelist is to be faithful to do my part in their story right there. Like when I used to, uh, uh, when I was a kid. We didn't have a lot of money and I was very bored. I was like straight out of Stranger Things, riding my bike around, just causing <laughs> trouble. Um, and I would sneak into movie theaters and because uh, I had nothing else to do. And so sneak in the back door. And then I didn't want the, the movie theater people to see me, of course. So I would run into whatever theater I could get into quickest before they saw me. But because of that, I would walk into a movie that was already been, been, you know, been playing for a little bit. And so what I had to be good at was when you walk into a movie, it's already been going on for 45 minutes. You try to figure out a little bit of what's happened up until that point, you know, because you're like, wait, this part is happening right here. And this is interesting. And I'm trying to make sense of it. But you're kind of from some context and other things are going on like this. This part only makes sense if I had been sitting there longer. And so in evangelism, often we, we tend to think that we're the ones that are coming in. They've never heard this. This is the life-changing moment. You know, they, they should say, thank God that Sean showed up. I knew nothing before. You know, this is like kind of page one of my spiritual experience right here, you know, and Sean's opening up that page. What a, what a great guy. No, 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 that's not it. 
God's been at work. I'm walking into someone's life 45 minutes, you know, after it started, and I'm probably going to need to leave because they're going to catch me and run me out of the place like they used to do. So, so I'm just going to play a short little part. I want to be faithful to the tasks that I do. And that, so when it's, so yes, there's an urgency because I think that this message, and I truly do believe kind of in the evangelical message, uh, not kind of, I do believe in the, that God changes lives through the gospel. Uh, but patience is what's needed. Patience to recognize that something came before you, patience to realize that something's going to come after probably the, the part that you play. And that studies show that usually this, this sort of thing takes multiple years to occur. I like that uh, film analogy a lot. Uh, of course, it reminds me of uh, First Corinthians, right? The I planted, Apollos watered, God gave right. me grace, you know, that that whole dynamic. Um, as we're talking about methodologies of evangelism, um, I'm reminded of something that um, a street preacher uh, once said, which is, I like my way of doing it over your way of not doing it. And okay. I'm curious, I'm curious to hear uh, a little bit more on the issue of methods. Are these different methods, like different tools in our toolbox? You know, we've got street preaching, we've got chick tracks, we've got the four spiritual laws, oh, we've got missionary dating, we've got relational <laughs> evangelism, we've got re relational <laughs> evangelism. I'm going to talk to Todd about this series and see, you know, we've got evangelism covered. Can we can we have a pastoral care of souls book on missionary dating and maybe uh chick tracks um i love but, hearing about that yeah influential in my life those chick tracks yeah heard me <laughs> but i mean you know like should we think of i mean of course uh i'm not being serious about uh some of those but um uh should we think of these kind of different methods as tools in the toolbox or you know, is there really a kind of, you know, ideal versus less ideal way of doing evangelism in your view? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. It's funny that you mentioned the the street preacher corner person, because that a few months ago, I got a, a message out of nowhere uh, that I, from someone I didn't know. And it was a group of people who do corner street preaching. And they had read my, my, my I'd written a book about John Wesley and George Whitfield's Theology of Conversion. And one of the things that George Whitfield in particular is known for is um, preaching outdoors to the masses. Mm -hmm. And so I'd never heard of this group, but they love George Whitfield. And they said, you, you know a lot about him. Will you teach us more about George Whitfield and his theology of conversion? And the first thing I did was I kind of looked into, because I've had some bad experiences when I was in college. There was some pretty nasty street preacher kind of people at my at Arizona State University. And, and so I was like, who are these folks? You know, I'm de definitely hesitant. And... Uh, but then I looked into them and they were like the best version of that. Um, I, that sounds very judgmental, but like I looked at, oh, these are, these are good guys. They just want to preach the word. They really believe that, um, uh, faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. So, you know, like, okay, I'm signing up for that. Uh, and we talked about, you know, so I delivered the information that they wanted about, uh, Whitfield and Wesley's theology of conversion and some anecdotal things about their, their life stories and stuff. Um, they're doing good work. And I heard the stories that they're, that they've shared and many of them have been doing it for quite a while. Clearly God does use that. I mean, I, I just can't, can't deny it. I've, I've met people who, you know, I turned on a, uh, one time I turned on a Billy Graham, uh, you know, thing, some of the, um, uh, people, my older people in my community and it was faint, you know? So just anecdotally, clearly God does use those things. I think if we were to pull back and maybe the people who were the the objects of street preaching and said, was this the only thing that God did in your life? I don't think they're going to say that was it. And the person who went, you know, turned on Billy Graham on a, on a Saturday morning, that wasn't the only thing, but it may have been the, the pivotal thing. 
So I think that at the center of any of these methodologies, I don't know about missionary dating, but um, would be an announcement of the word of Christ. So if at the core of this is a delivery of the gospel message, the methodology is secondary. That one of the another analogy that I have in in the book is about de, uh, like a, a mailman or a delivery driver, and uh, when the the Amazon guy shows up at my door for something that you know we've really been wanting, we don't like stop and hug the Amazon driver and be like, "You're the best! So mm. excited! You are so good at delivering things!" Oh my gosh, could you just, everyone come out here, look at how he put it on my doorstep and took a picture before he walked away. Look at that. I mean, really the the job of the delivery driver is to not ding up the package. Hmm. Like don't, don't damage the goods when you're doing your task. What you end up doing and what we like is when we open the package, it's what's inside of it. And hopefully it's not damaged, right? And so the task of any of these evangelistic messages are, are, the, the the methodology or the mechanism is secondary. So whether you take the care of souls approach that I'm advocating for in my book, or maybe you're called the street preach or some other approach, that's secondary. And and among those, obviously, we probably all have our own favorites and maybe ones that we you know like more or maybe are good at or have had good or bad experiences with. But the real key is is the mess has the message been delivered. And that's that's at the essence of it. And so I do I do have some you know chapters on on what I think that is going on there, but uh, with with the message, but yeah, um, I think that uh, anecdotally it does seem that God works through uh, a lot of crazy ways. Um, if you've heard people's stories, it's just wild sometimes. What what was the pivotal point? But it's about the message that they heard. That's the key. So it's interesting too, like when you think about how the message, like, like we being part of the story, like one of us being part of somebody's story, coming into the middle of the picture, delivering the package. Um, just the, the picture of that and the way that it frees people up to actually know that not everything rides on them in that moment and getting everything exactly right. I found a lot of, uh, a lot of Christians don't evangelize because they say they don't know how to do it or don't know the words to use and things like that. Can you speak mm -hmm. to that? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think at first I felt a lot of pressure to to say everything and get it all done really well and kind of seal the deal, you know, like I've kind of been talking about here. And then having done evangelism in my community since 2002, you know, some, you know, a couple decades in, I... I don't know if I've ever done that like completely in anyone's life. And one of the things that I realized, especially in working with high school kids is every four years, uh, kids graduate that I'd known for a couple of years and they're, they're pretty much gone. And then a new group comes in and I go to freshman camp and I welcome the new ones. I, I wrote a book on um, the good news of our limits. And a lot of it was about that. I play this very limited role because that's the way that God designed humans we're not omnipresent, omnipotent, or omniscient. <laughs> um, we are semi-present, semi-niscient, and uh, semi-potent. <laughs> and so uh, recognize that. So I, I I can only play a small role. And so to your point, Josh, like being content with the 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 part that I've been given to do. My, my wife is a third grade teacher and she only gets a year to teach them what she can. And then she hands them off to fourth grade. And 
that's it. She can't, on her agenda is not to teach him all the things are in fourth and fifth and sixth grade. She needs to stay in her lane and do the best she can with these couple topics to a certain level of depth. And I think, you know, with the folks that you're talking to, I would say be faithful to the task that God puts, you know, in, in your life. Um, speak to the truth that you can in the midst of that. Listen, like probably listen a lot. Ask more follow-up questions. If there was a key task, I would encourage you know listeners, anyone wanting to do evangelism better, it would become a better question asker and a better listener, and then a better follow-up question asker. Like I would actually say, you don't really need to have a lot of answers. What you need to do is develop listening and question skills better, and and. And, and, and trusting also in the background that the Holy Spirit is always at work in their life and that the Holy Spirit will do the, the connecting of the dots. And, and as we have opportunity, we'll share the word of God with them in different ways. But uh, I would say, you know, be content with the, the, the small part that you have. And if there was a skill in the midst of that, it would be about listening and asking better questions and follow-up questions and becoming curious. The word curious is really important. And, and the questions you're talking about, aren't the rote, like I have a script of questions like, do you know where you're going to go when you die? And then no matter what they respond, you move to the next question. You're talking about like conversation in relationship in a way yeah. that you're intellectually curious, you're curious about them in relationship, right? I mean, can you speak a little towards the difference between like a script of questions and kind of the the walking with questions, the relational ones? Right. Yeah, I think every every um, Christian should have some sort of script in their head. Hopefully the script is the basic outline of one of any of the gospels, you know, or, um, you know, you know about the life of Christ and what is accomplished, or maybe in first Corinthians 15, what I handed you of first importance that Christ died for sins, according to scriptures and raised from the dead, according to scriptures, something like Jesus is Lord, any of those summaries, people do need to, I think, should have that running in the back of their head if they'd like to share the good news of Christ, um, something like that. You know, I'm not opposed to learning the Romans road or the bridge to life. Are you going to deliver those verbatim? Probably not. But, but you know, there, there are bits and pieces of things that are are good to know. But, but like I said, you know, does a doctor uh, go in and say, oh, let me tell you about the molecules and how they work. And, uh, you know, they, they know all sorts of book stuff that guide the questions that they ask and the questions that they don't ask. So I think that for those of us that are um, pastors or training or discipling people, it would be good for them to know a script or to know some key questions like you, I think you would, the evangelism explosion questions, um, you know, do, do you know uh, what happened if you were to die today? I don't know if I've literally, I don't know if I've ever asked that question, you know, to anyone. I've been at this for a long time, yeah. but I know that question, you know, yeah. and and maybe I might reword it or I, I can't think of a time when I directly thought of it, but but that, I bet that's come through when it seemed natural to ask something like that. Um, I do, I have, I have when some people have been dying, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, just more, yeah. you know, there, there are moments when some, I, I am a little more forward on, on some of those, but, uh, but, but no, it, person, right? like, it's not just, your, it's, it's part of actually like being in the moment with a person. It's not just your open, cold, open question that every time. I think. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I coach high school basketball for 20, 20 years. So the drills that we do rarely end up making their way directly into the game 
So, you know, our, when we're, when we're doing it, you know, uh, a rebounding drill, you know, and you, you, you tip the ball back up onto the, onto the backboard 10 times in a row and grab it as high as you can. That, I don't know if that's ever happened in a game. Like I needed to get 10 rebounds in a row. As I threw it off the backboard. But some of the mechanics and the skills behind it work its way into the game all the time, you know, and it's applied on the fly as you're responsive, reflexive, reactive to what's happening in the moment. And so, so some of those drills can be good, maybe in a classroom setting or kind of a, that, a, for, that sort of a thing, recognizing they're probably never going to be deployed that way. Um, so, yeah, that would be another way to look at it. Like, John, John, let me, let me. You play guitar, right? You know, so when I started playing guitar and trying to do lead, mm -hmm. I learned like a pentatonic scale, okay? Mm -hmm. You know, the box, okay? Mm -hmm. And then I got real fancy and adding the blues notes, right? So <laughs> like my lead skills are very mechanical, okay? Mm -hmm. But my son, who, who uh, fortunately, he has a guitar scholarship for college, so I'm really glad. Mm -hmm. He kind of said, dad, dad, that's not like, yes, you do need to know pentatonic scale, but you kind of got to like, mm -hmm. there's got to feel out and know what's going on. And, and so my solos are very predictable and boring. His are beautiful and so are yours. So like there's something in music that is, you know, you have to be responsive, reflective, to, but, but you, it, you probably had to start somewhere with the basic, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if you can speak to that, if they're, I'm forcing them out. Oh, totally. Sort of analogy, but yeah. No. Yeah, totally. I mean, um, I think it's yeah, it's like the finesse. It's sort of the um, uh, inhabiting. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the inhabiting of of the the craft. It's what um, it's what Esther Meek talks about um, the the subsidiary focal integration, where you're not thinking about you know the the act of riding the bike. What do I need to do? You're you're just mm. sort of inhabiting it, and I think that that's some that's similar it's a similar sort of thing um of, of kind of yeah getting past sort of like am i following the steps am i doing the rules right it's just sort of uh yeah it's this sort of integrative uh um sort of sort of yeah set of actions um yeah right along those lines if i could you know i'm a big fan of the two cities um, podcast listen to it all i know that you've had at least one transition the introduction you know, intro music <laughs> i just want to put a vote in i mentioned this to you in person before um <laughs> i think arsbl but i i've with you being such a big part of the team i would love to see a like face melting lead, like heavy like drop d maybe drop c even just something really low and just like it's really beautiful what you have. I think you said maybe Logan wrote it, and so yep. you know credit yep. to him or something like that. But I just want to put my vote in for a little <laughs> something edgier. You know that Ryan uh, Mullins podcast where it it comes in hard. I don't know if you've heard that. I don't yeah, some, I used to listen to a lot, a little bit less now. But like he brings he brings it, and uh, I think with you being on the team, I just I would love to see more of you your musical. Um, so Logan just did a new, <laughs> yeah, like. Yep. It's very, it's got a lot more synth than you probably are thinking that John would. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? so, 
so we we use so basically all of our music has been by logan logan wrote the music for the first hundred episodes then he created new music which is what we're currently in and this is episode 195 so in a few weeks in a few weeks we will have new music and logan's already written it and so the team has heard it and i can say it's epic and um it is a little bit more intense but it's it's not quite metal but it is uh, a lot more, um, a lot more kind of banging than uh, than the current uh, theme uh, music. So yeah, it's uh, it's just around the corner, and you'll you'll uh, you'll hear it soon. Okay, well, I just I want it to have some punch. I want it, it, have it has some, punch. Like, growl in it. it does. Oh, there's it no. To... <laughs> I want it to. Unfortunately, we don't have any growling, but I want to have I just wanted to have some John in it. OK, that's, <laughs> I'm just putting my boat. All right. Uh, maybe maybe for the for the for the subsequent hundred episodes, okay. we'll have we'll have yeah, new, yeah. new okay. theme. Fair song. enough. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. Logan's already made it. So at the very okay, least, fair enough. Got... <laughs> and it's been great. I do like it. It's just it's yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for listening to to the pod. Yeah. So um, when I was growing up, uh, in a fundamentalist Baptist context, uh, the evangelistic book that I was most familiar with, and I'm not certain because it's been a while how fundamentalist this book is, but are you familiar with the book by Mark Cahill called One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven? The title and the author, yes, but I haven't read it. Okay. Okay. No, well, I was just, well, I was just yeah, curious. What's the gist of it? Well, I mean, it's really all there in the title, right? The title <laughs> is that we will not have this opportunity again so now's the time you know seize the day sort of the the urgency kind of point um i don't recall the tactics that are advocated i would suspect because it was promoted within my my school and and my my um the, the the church that I was doing these missions trips with that it was probably the sort of thing that uh, I I wouldn't uh, speak of uh, favorably but it's been a while so I don't want to actually say that definitively uh, I was just curious to to hear your thoughts but I, but I've also I've also sort of thought like this idea that it's one thing you can't do in heaven I sort of wonder do we do we know that uh, do we know that evangelism is is not something we won't be doing in heaven for example I think uh, you know when God creates the new heavens and the new earth there's uh, it's a pretty big universe out there, you know. Um, who knows? But okay, so it's not sin, right? That's not the one thing you can't do in heaven. It's evangelism. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like you can, you can <laughs> missionary probe... dating, maybe. Is yeah, that yeah, possible yeah. in heaven? Yeah, Is exactly. that what you're asking? <laughs> you can probe this. You could probe this and, and point out plenty of things you can't do mm-hmm. in heaven, uh, or at least we speculate that you can't. Um, but I, yeah, I wonder. Um, I wonder if this is actually one thing we can't do in heaven. I mean, of course, I'm not not trying to say one one way or the other, but I, I just, I'm curious about, about that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have a lot to say about postmortem salvation, (laughs) that question. On the other hand, I would want to expand people's uh, concept of evangelism to an announcement uh, that Jesus is Lord. And so I think there'll be plenty of that sort of evangelism. I think it'll be a refrain on our hearts and minds. And so uh, I, you know, the last, uh, one of the, one of the chapters, oh no, it's the um, announcing and re-announcing the good news is the, uh, one of the themes in here. I think I might have a chapter. Yeah. One uh, announcing and re-announcing the good news. So the idea that this proclamation that Jesus is Lord will echo through uh, eternity. So in that regard, uh, I'd like to make a case for that to answer your question. Now that the opportunity of some, some other thing, and then, and then you said universe, is that really through 
for, I mean, uh, uh, there's more behind that perhaps, but, um, yeah, I'm not, I don't really have a lot to say about that. I did write, they asked, I, I was asked to write the entry on conversion for the Oxford handbook of Christian fundamentalism that'll come out, I think in December. Oh, yes. So I, I have surveyed quite a bit of the, uh, Christian fundamentalist, uh, you know, uh, conversion uh, information and evangelistic uh, information. I, I think I took it up until about 1980, 1990. So that might be kind of coming on the edges of of the book that you mentioned there. But I, I'm more familiar with the kind of the formative years of uh, the fundamentalist movement in America uh, and and wrote on that. Mm. Well, I just love that idea that. Um... If, if we think about evangelism in a very narrow sort of way, we might we might want to say, yeah, it's not something we're going to do in heaven. But as you're sort of advocating and describing, of course, we're going to continue to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Uh, and as I would want to say, throughout the cosmos, so that it's not um, so that we expand our horizons a bit uh, further than what we think we might be up to in heaven is all I would <laughs> want to say. Oh, sure. Yeah. A cosmic redemption that is not just uh all of creation yeah, yeah exactly. i think there's something in scripture about that um I, and we do i not, would say uh, so <laughs> yes yes so there, there's there's more to it um so yeah i'm with you on that but uh, uh I, I guess maybe there could be another series rather than the cure of souls maybe there's the cure of creation or something mm. the cosmos that you could write um oh uh, or something yeah i i wouldn't be the person to write it but i would i would advocate for it i like that mm. Mm-hmm. We could really get into the like the multiverse stuff and everything too, right? That'd be fun. Oh, dear. I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sean, we've talked a lot about um, announcing the gospel, communicating with other people, being in relationship, even methodology and things like that. You do close your book. Your final chapter is called "Announcing to Ourselves." Can you talk a little bit about the importance of? the gospel itself impacting our own lives and preparing our hearts and preparing us to step into these relationships that come up. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, thanks for asking about that. I think one of the unspoken challenges for ministers is how difficult it can be for us who are trying to always do things for other people. And to be honest, often we're giving a lot of the same counsel and at the core of kind of an evangelistic ministry is proclaiming that Jesus is Lord in a, in a multitude of ways over and over and over. And so the challenge for uh, evangelists is for us to encounter that ourselves. An analogy that I often think about is anyone who uses a tool, like I'm looking out the window at my yard right now, which is in bad shape. But um, when I do my yard work, I often get calluses, you know, and so, uh, or if you play guitar, you get, you get calluses on the tips of your fingers and you don't feel what's happening. So, um, there, there's some benefits to that because, you know, you can do the work more repetitively, but when it comes to the gospel or any, many of the messages that we, we proclaim as uh, those of us that are in ministry or, or various forms is we can say these things as if they just don't, we don't feel any of them. And so when we say that, um, here's a first supportance that Christ died for sins, According to the scriptures that he resurrected on the third day according to the scriptures and we say that and we're, we we might be able to recall when that changed our lives or that we were really in the midst that it, it cut straight to our heart um or something like that but for those of us who are trying to do evangelism uh, it, it goes kind of 
not in one ear and one out, out the other, it kind of comes out of our mouth and never, we just never feel it. And so the, uh, announce, announcing it to ourselves is taking a step back and wanting to scrub away those calluses and wanting to become fresh again to the good news that Jesus is Lord in our own lives. And really the, the main way to do that is just to, that I talk about is like to confront our sin, to be in touch with it. I'm in, in to, to confess. So hopefully in our, in our, our churches or in our ministries that we are prompted for to reflect upon our lives, perhaps for communion, or if we have a confession of sin in our church or what have you. Um, so, so hopefully that our people leading us are bringing this to us saying, I, I'm, we're going to, you know, give you a time to reflect upon your own life and where you stand and that, that you need a savior. Or maybe you're also like me or and or because I have that in my church. Fortunately, we have an opportunity to confess our sins and um, uh, every week. Then if you, that would be one thing. The other thing would be if you just feel the good old conviction and guilt and and, and, and obviously we, there's not a place for shame, but, but recognizing that there's something behind that, that, that I need a savior. And so if we're at all in touch with our own heart, really in the spirit, our emotions, whatever, what heaviness. Um, that we would we would sit with that and that we would reflect upon the goodness of the gospel in our own lives and try to kind of peel away those calluses and let it speak to us, that we would be recipients of the same message that we are doling out to other people. So as a final question, uh, towards the end of the book, you talk about three laws uh, of evangelism. And of course, since we're all familiar with the four, the four spiritual laws, uh, could you tell us a little bit about what these uh, three laws are and maybe how they're different from the four spiritual laws? Well, you are a very careful reader, John, because yes, they uh, there are four spiritual laws, but I have I have one less. So doesn't this sound more... more uh, approachable and easier. I think there's an old movie that I had. Was it 30 minute abs or 20, <laughs> 29? I don't know. Anyway, yes, mine mine has uh, uh, three laws. It's the opposite of that spinal tap moment, but this one goes to 11. It's like, yes, well, yeah, well, yeah, my, exactly. Well, mine only has three. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh, mine only, yeah, mine only has three. And it, I'll be honest, I did have that in mind when I came up with, they asked me at the end, will you put it into just a couple brief points? And I thought, I'm going to have three laws for evangelism just to make it a little simpler. So the first law is to listen. I already talked about the importance of listening, but listening to three sources, one would be God's word. The second would be our own lives. And then three would be the person in front of us. So God's word, listening to God's word uh, gives us the opportunity to reflect upon the gospel in our own life which then prompts us to, with wisdom, listen to the people that are in front of us. So listening would be the first law and, you know, kind of picks up on different threads from that go throughout the book about the importance of listening for the care of souls. The second one would be then, after having listened carefully, is to announce the good news. One of the analogies that I talk about is when you are driving somewhere and you put, you know, an address into your phone or whatever, it will give you different routes to the same destination. And one is the fastest and another one doesn't use toll roads and you can switch it. One is driving and another one's walking. The key part about it is the destination needs to be the same. Otherwise, it's really wrong directions. And so when you listen, it provides uh, the wisdom to be able to announce kind of the route that might work best. 
and there's no fast way to learn how to announce that, but you need to know what the destination is, just Jesus is Lord, the other things that we've talked about, but to announce with wisdom, uh, to get to, to kind of the angle. And then the, the third law is to repeat. So listen, announce, and then repeat to not expect that one conversation or one even partial conversation uh, is going to kind of do everything that need, needs to be done. But chances are, if if God is going to use you in an evangelistic mode in someone's life, this is going to be probably come in bits and pieces and repeated conversations for listening and talking and picking up on things over and over and over and uh, being very patient with that and uh, repeating it. So yeah, listen announce and repeat. Mm. I like that a lot. And especially what I like about it is you aren't prescribing exactly what needs to be said, right? Because what the four spiritual laws are is like, you start with God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. And you sort of work through this kind of like script almost of like, this is the prescribed way of, of evangelizing. And I I just like that. Well, for one, I like that you start with listen, like shut up and listen. Seriously. I, yeah. I, I like that mm -hmm. a lot. Um, but but then I like that the second one, although you do sort of fold in like the kinds of things that you might say when you announce, uh, it's not like this sort of prescribed step of like, this is exactly what you say every time, you know, I think that's great. And honestly, like different things are going to speak to different people at different times. Like, right. I mean, well, that's the whole point of listening. Yeah. Right. You got and the whole stethoscope uh, analogy, you got to know what's the best thing to say in this situation and not follow some prescribed route. Yeah. 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 You're not going to come in if there's a blues riff and you're going to come in with some crazy tapping solo with, you know, 30 second Ooh, notes, John, you got to listen to, you know, is. you got to listen to the hook and the loop and, and what, what you got you to make it work with what you just heard. Right. Or, come, solo. or, or, or coming in with, uh, if you're a drummer with double bass on, uh, you know, a worship mm -hmm. song, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> gotta listen, <laughs> gotta listen. That's great. Well, Dr. McGeever, thank you so much for, for joining us. This has been a wonderful conversation. Just appreciate everything that you shared with us about thinking about evangelism in this mode as uh, a care for souls and um, what that entails. And I just think that's a really rich uh, and, and helpful way of approaching evangelism. Yeah. Thanks, John. Thank you, Josh.